0: Welcome to Radically Transparent, the number one podcast for the modern-day marketer, presented by Octopost, the only social media and employee advocacy solution architected for B2B. Each episode shines a light on the inner workings of B2B leadership, including what keeps successful CEOs, CMOs, and VPs up at night professionally. The conversations are real, raw, and authentic, all while revealing the unfiltered, not-so-known truths of today's most interesting marketers. Introducing your host, Jennifer Gutman. Hello, world. My next guest is taking the marketing world by storm. An expert in PR and lover of travel, please join me in welcoming Lauren Gumport, VP of Communications and Brand Strategy at Bay to the podcast. Lauren, are you ready to get radically transparent with me? 100%. I'm ready. Fantastic. So listen, this show has been made famous for the first question we ask in every episode. And I have been dying to know what's going on uh, in the world of everything that you're doing and you're up to, and we'll get into in a moment. But I have to ask you, what is keeping you up at night professionally?
1: I would say probably imposter syndrome. uh, And I'm sure many people can relate to that. Probably also just the the entire concept of failure, (laughs) just like blanket statement failure, but definitely imposter syndrome.
0: Absolutely. And I think, especially in marketing, I don't know why, but I feel like especially for marketing leaders, marketing professionals, it seems to be something that we battle
1: with more than other fields, maybe? I don't know if that's a fair statement. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've been in marketing for marketing communications PR for so long, right? So I have no idea. I can ask my mom. She's a doctor, but I would hope that she said no. Um, I will say that I think imposter syndrome comes up at these moments where someone turns to you in a meeting and it's like they say to you in your expert opinion and you're like, my expert opinion. And I realized, yeah, my expert opinion. I've been doing comms for over 10 years. I guess I am an expert in comms. And I think when imposter syndrome, seeps in. And when you kind of start doubting yourself, is maybe you're not in an environment that is positive, maybe it's an unhealthy type of environment. I know that imposter syndrome for me has kind of been brought on more in the past when I've been in a work culture that I don't connect with more. I've had a manager who hasn't really fostered my growth. So it's definitely all about surrounding yourself with people who are going to lift you up and uh, support you professionally and personally, I would say, and celebrate your wins. Absolutely.
0: And I think, I think especially as women, I mean, I think all of us, we can kind of, I mean, it's safe to say, right? We don't necessarily need to be experts at everything. And that kind of leads me into my next question, which is around structuring a team. And I think as a marketing leader, a lot of times, you know, we're hired to come in and you know, and for good reason, right? And and we are expected to be able to build that rock star all all star team. And especially in today's yeah. Economy, Right. Where a lot of teams are slimming down or a lot of teams are trying to understand what are those essential roles that they need. How are you staying true to yourself when building your teams in terms of identifying what you need, identifying what you want, identifying what's going to move the needle forward? And then, of course, looking at right realistic resources. Uh, how do you go ahead and build that that team?
1: Yeah. OK. A few things. First of all, I think when it comes to management that I've probably learned the hard way because I think I always wanted to be an expert in everything, but I'm human. That's just not a reality. So I believe in hiring people who are better than you, who fill the gaps in places that you're not an expert. So for example, I'm definitely an expert in public relations, not an expert in social media. I'm I could be I'm obsessed with LinkedIn and Instagram, don't get me wrong. But I'm no expert in social, right? So that's number one. I I think. In addition to hiring to fill those gaps and the skills that you may lack as a manager or a team leader, I would say that you need to identify what should stay in-house and what you can contract out, right? So, um, for example, do you really want a third party if we're on social, managing your social accounts? Probably not because someone who's managing your social account should really live and breathe your brand. Can you offload to a freelance writer some SEO-optimized blog content that you want to rank for? Yeah, that's probably a safer bet. Especially when you're trying to be scrappy and whatnot. Absolutely. And speaking about being scrappy and
0: coverage, right? So you mentioned that you're a PR professional. And I think anybody... you know, If you're listening in, head over to LinkedIn. Go take a look at Lauren's LinkedIn profile. She's really... She's fun to follow, but also informative and just a really interesting person. But bring it back to that PR side and like I'll call it top tier coverage, if you will, right? And it's it's yeah. not easy and it seems to come so naturally for you. Can you share with us a little bit about how you go about getting your top tier coverage for you know a brand that's just starting out? And feel free, you know, if you're over yeah. at yeah, like, feel free to talk about, you know, what is Faye? And like, what are you doing? But like, how yeah. are you getting that
1: top tier coverage? So I was classically trained, you could say, in PR in New York City. So I worked for a very big PR firm um, that represented Fortune 500 brands. And then I moved to Tel Aviv and I was like thrown into the startup life in which all of these entrepreneurs are creating these disruptive, really innovative products, a lot of times targeted at an American audience because it's a huge country. There's a huge opportunity to make some money there. Um So then the question becomes, well, how do I get coverage there, right? How do I reach reporters? And some people believe in the spray and pray method. I am not for the spray and pray method. The spray and pray method is you're going to write one pitch, send it to a thousand people and hope that it sticks, right? I'm more a, okay, let's define, you know, 50 to 100 reporters who really matter to our space, right? I'm in travel, I am the VP of comms and Brand at Faye Travel Insurance. So, we're completely disrupting the travel insurance ecosystem and turning it on its head to turn something that is known for being bureaucratic and slow and frustrating into something really delightful and quick and, dare I say, fun. Right. And that, you know, that might be a little weird for listeners because we're talking about travel insurance. But so, I went and defined all of the reporters in the space. They could be travel-related, insurance-related, tech-related, all of the above. And I create custom pitches to those reporters. And then I'm building a relationship with them over time. You cannot have a funding announcement and just send it to TechCrunch and expect that they're going to cover it when they've never heard of you before. Media relations. It's about relationships. Okay? Okay. <laughs> So yeah, that's what I would say about PR. A custom approach. Avoid spray and pray.
0: <laughs> I think that's a... Especially for the, the Israeli <laughs> crowd listening in, I think it's some helpful advice, right? But it is definitely time consuming. And it's like when you're building relationships with analysts, right? Or your customers, right? You really need to personalize the experience. You really need to understand who you're talking to. Which kind of leads me into my next question regarding metrics. And like, okay, so... I'm in the social space. So you can ask me anything about like social KPIs, what should we be measuring? How do we tie it back to the business? But when it comes to the effectiveness of corporate comms, I feel like in some ways that's a whole different ballgame. So how are you establishing metrics and building measurement plans to be able to monitor that effectiveness? Because correct me if I'm wrong, it's more of a long-term game than it is a short-term. So like, how do you prove your, how do you get to keep your job, right? How do you prove what you're doing? Why am I employed <laughs> right now?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a few things. I think PR is really frustrating because there is not really one right way to accurately measure the impact that media relations has on your brand. You actually have no idea how many eyes were on that tech cringe story. And because a reporter is not just going to insert a trackable UTM link into their story because you asked them to, you're not going to know how much, how many people came and you know buy a policy uh, get a demo etc from PR I had this amazing meeting the other day and we were talking about the fact that you can't measure how much people give a shit about your brand and you can't because when you create a brand you, you want to create this emotional connection between someone and and your company's mission and, and what you're doing so when it comes to PR I measure it in a few ways okay first of all if I after a year, say, of working at Fay, I know on average how many hits I should get per month, right? So one, there's like straight up, am I am I getting the average? Am I doing more than average? Fine. Number two is, what's the content, right? Are we talking straight about like thought leadership topics that our executives can comment on? Or are we talking about our actual product? I want a variety. And then the third is, what type of coverage are we getting, right? Is it a roundup? So are we mentioned next to other thought leaders in the space? Is it a standalone story that only features my company, which obviously probably has a lot more value to many rather than just being inserted into one larger story with a ton of other people? Um, And I also want to say that measurement, at least for me and how I run my team, is not just with the numbers. I want to experiment, right? I I want to um, make sure that we're trying new types of content and new types of initiatives to see what sticks, whether it's with the media or with our consumers. I I hope that answered the measurement question as best as I could in PR. (laughs) It does. Listen, it's a a world... It's a
0: fascinating... PR is a fascinating world. And I think, again, thinking about marketing in general and measuring, there's so many things that you cannot measure. So it's always interesting for me to hear from different marketing leaders, especially in the areas of PR or brand, right? How you're actually measuring. Um, And then I want to shift over for a moment to... I think it's more of a, I would say, maybe it's cultural or maybe it's something we can all improve going into 2023 and beyond. But, you know, woman to woman, why do you think it is that women leaders seem to talk less about their wins than our male counterparts?
1: Yeah, I mean, as we head into March uh, and March has, you know, International Women's Day, which Should't really be a day. It should be a mindset, right? It should it should be way more than a moment in time um, because we're such a valuable asset to to companies. Um, I don't want to generalize a whole group of people, right? So um when it comes to talking about their wins, but I if I'm looking at at myself and as a woman and and um the feelings that I get when I talk about um my wins and my accomplishments, say, for example, on LinkedIn, I think that what creeps in is, it's scary to wonder if someone feels like you're bragging, if you're too assertive, if you're too full of yourself. And that feeling of somebody potentially having that perception of you or being described in that manner is is uncomfortable. And I think that that fear can maybe drive some of us to not talk about our wins as much as we should. I'll even go as far as saying, you know, to not negotiate as firmly as we should, to not speak as experts in our field with as much confidence as we should. And I think it takes constant practice to throw that fear out the window. It also requires you to make sure you're in an environment that fosters female empowerment, empowerment in general. Absolutely. And I think, you know, listen,
0: I you you kind of hit on it earlier, right? And when we talk about our wins, one of the things that is right, and intimidating is you don't want people to think you're sounding full of yourself. And I know you actually do a really good job at talking about your wins in a way on LinkedIn, because I'm constantly reading your posts that like it's it's inspiring. But what are some of the best... If you could give advice, right, to all of us listening in, what are some of the best ways that we can showcase our wins without sounding full of ourselves? Like, what do you think it is that like makes us sound of ourselves, or what? What do you think it is that makes a post sound more authentic, or you know, just proud of a win?
1: I would actually kind of turn it around in a sense and say, I think we should be all. We should all be showcasing what we're proud of, under an insu- an assumption that our community, whether it be LinkedIn or those in our personal lives, will be supportive of us when we hit our goals and achieve things that are important to us. Right. So, if someone's interpretation of me from something I'm really proud of personally and professionally that I post on LinkedIn is that I'm full of myself, then in my humble opinion, that's their problem, right? Because as a 32-year-old woman, I'm really comfortable enough to, to feel okay with sharing my wins publicly and without you know, feeling concerned about how I look. And, and I think and hope and would want all women to, to feel the same, honestly. I think that's
0: some good advice. So have no shame. You know, take the plunge, no thought leadership,
1: and start yeah. out your wins. Now's the time, right? Yeah, and like maybe by the way, you know, when I talk about wins too, I I'm a, I'm I'm really afraid of many things, but I went skydiving um, because I was so afraid of it. I, I forced myself to, and um, I talked about it on LinkedIn because I was like listen like you know professionally I'm all about setting goals but you you can't just set professional goals because then your life is going to be super boring and you know somewhat meaningless so you have to set personal goals and why not share it publicly if you're comfortable with it I love that I love that mm-hmm. So listen I have two more questions for you one I think is
0: an interesting one because I think moving and we were kind of coming off of like 2020, everyone's work from home. 2021, all these corporations and companies are kind of in this movement of, you know, work from home is the future. And we've got to prepare the workforce to work from home. And then suddenly 2021 comes around and towards the end, 2022, it's like, no, you know what, work from home. It's okay. But let's, you know, we're going to take a hybrid approach. And now we're seeing like, you know companies like Disney and we're seeing Elon Musk make you know statements of everybody must return to the office 4 days a week, 3 days a yeah. week back to the office and in, and in such a short amount of time like we see kind of this evolution of like where where should employees be sitting and where should we be working. Yeah. So yeah. Would you say that that one do you believe in today's environment that there's such thing as a work-life balance and then incorporated into that what is your personal take on the, the, the work from home, work from office,
1: hybrid, yeah. right? What should Yeah, do? yeah, this whole thing. Um, I think that a lot of companies today are really regressing. At all of us who worked from home, who worked remotely, who decided maybe to move to cities or locations that aligned better with who, how we want to live and our lifestyles, we carried these companies through a really difficult time and that proved successful, right? So we all know that work from home works for lack of a better word or I don't even want to say work from home I want to say work from any home work from anywhere right um so it's really tough for me to see a lot of companies regressing like it's 2019 I don't think it's okay it hurts me emotionally it makes me sad um but if we're talking about is there a work life balance yeah 100% um a living breathing example of that um we're all adults we need to set our own boundaries so If you, for example, start a job and you are sending emails at every hour of the day, including the weekends, including after hours, then your colleagues are going to make an assumption that that's how you work, that that's how you do things, and that that's okay for you. And that maybe it's okay with you after hours or on the holidays, right? We all set our own boundaries. So I am absolutely someone who, first of all, enjoys a hybrid schedule. I'll go in two to three times a week. Um, but after hours, I, I 100% like to have extracurricular activities that speak to me personally. And I would really hope that those on my team and those who I work with have the same. Um, but work from home and hybrid, and there's this misinterpretation that, uh, it means that people aren't working. And I'm sick, I'm sick and tired of hearing that, right? Because again, we proved that it works, right? It doesn't mean that, you know, having a hybrid work schedule doesn't mean that people should be taking advantage of it, right? You need to be online when your team's online. You need to be like available. You need to be on all of your meetings on time, for example. Um, so we have to be responsible adults in setting boundaries and are also not taking advantage of work from home. So it works. And by the way, it doesn't work for some of my friends. Some of my friends are allowed to have a hybrid and live a hybrid work schedule, but they go into the office every day because they work better that way. Yeah.
0: I I have to agree like we're adults and we have to understand like our best working style. So I think the hybrid setup is a powerful one because it gives those who work better. Like I can attest, right? Like I'm writing a lot of content. So if I'm sitting in the office and everybody's excited to see you every day, right? It's hard
1: to write in a room full of chatty cats. I'm getting nothing done. I'm getting nothing done. I'm, I'm also writing every day. I can be writing an op-ed. It could be a strategy plan. It could be new messaging. don't, how am I supposed to do that when everyone's getting coffee right outside my door? You know, it's just like I love being in the office. I love my coworkers genuinely. Um, but it's just not it's just not realistic if I want to get as much shit done as I could in one working week. Yes. I guess.
0: Yes, touche, touche. The last question <laughs> for you Lauren. It's been a joy speaking. Yeah. It- We've learned a lot about you. We know you love to travel. We know you've been skydiving. Um uh, we know that you're kind of the 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 glue of of PR and you know an expert in PR. What's one thing you can tell us about yourself that we actually cannot learn about you from your LinkedIn profile?
1: I think I alluded it to it earlier but I I'm a really big scaredy cat and I hate to say that because maybe it doesn't seem that way. I mean you and I maybe it doesn't seem that way from our conversations but I'm a really big scaredy cat. But when I am terrified of something, I make myself do it. Okay, so the the key example is literally skydiving. I'm absolutely terrified of heights. I scheduled to go skydiving like 10 times, 15 times, canceled every time before I did it. (laughs) Cried for two hours before I did it. And now I'm like, let's go. I have to do it again. (laughs) But another example is I'm terrified of TikTok. TikTok. So, because just because I don't want to add another social platform and I love Instagram and LinkedIn and I can't imagine having a third social child that I need to give attention to, right? So, I've decided that I have to become a TikTok expert this year, like 2023, have to become a TikTok expert, but I am terrified. Are you on TikTok yet or it's not, it's not happened yet? I am slyly on TikTok. No one can find me. I'm just looking around. I'm in the exploration phase, ok? Uh, we'll keep but our uh, eyes... talk to me a few <laughs> We'll keep
0: our eyes open for Lauren's TikTok, and we can't wait to follow. For anyone who wants to speak more about Faye or PR or uh, skydiving,
1: where <laughs> where's the best place to reach you? Yeah, Find me on LinkedIn. It's Lauren Gumport on. Um, I probably will respond to you within 5 seconds if you message me because I'm attached to my phone in the most unhealthy of ways. Uh, Yeah, that's way to reach me or lauren at withfay.com if you want to send me an email. Fantastic. Lauren, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically
0: Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.